0: to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today I'm covering the news to know for the week of October 20th. And I'm going to start off with something that's not necessarily news, but I need some guidance. And I've already posted this question on the AMDIS listserv, which has to do with your interpretation of the 21st Century Cures Act. As CMIOs and physician informaticists, how are you interpreting this and specifically referring to open notes? If we do not do open notes, is that considered information blocking? So let's talk about a couple of definitions first. for those of you not familiar with open notes, this is the concept of when the provider finishes their notes and signs it, that it becomes available to the patient on the patient portal. This could be an office note, a discharge summary, even a progress note, so that the family or a patient, in theory, could follow along with the course of treatment and have complete visibility into the notes that are going into the EMR. This is rather scary stuff for most providers. In my personal experience, we have been able to get discharge summaries to go and there's been some mild resistance to that. But it's interesting, when you talk about releasing all notes, the providers are really not excited about daily progress notes going out. So now let's talk about information blocking. and I'm going to read something off of HealthIT.gov And this all came out a couple of months ago when they were talking about the proposed rule and the 21st Century CARES Act. So, what is information blocking? Section 4004 of the 21st Century Cures Act defines information blocking. In general, information blocking is a practice by a healthcare provider, health IT developer, health information exchange, or health information network that is likely to interfere with, prevent, or materially discourage access, exchange, or use of electronic health information. The ONC, I'll just continue reading you another few lines here, ONC also specifies in its recent notice numerous examples of practices that may implicate the information blocking provisions, which include but are not limited to, imposing formal or informal restrictions on access, exchange, or use of electronic health information implementing capabilities in ways that limit the timeliness of access exchange or the use of electronic health information. There are a bunch more on there but those are the ones I think are relevant. I'm going to add another part to this which because right around the same time one of my colleagues from ambulatory said, hey how are we going to do on our MIPS measures because there's this promoting interoperability category which kind of gets at some of the same things. So many of you are also dealing with MIPS. There's a line in here that's in the certification, uh, the attestment phase. So you're testing to what you are capable of doing. And here's the line. The second statement is related to the implementation of certified electronic health records and attests that the clinician implemented technology, standards, and workflows that ensured the EHR was connected according to applicable law compliant with information exchange standards allowed patients timely access to electronic health information and allowed the timely bidirectional exchange of information with other healthcare providers in summary that the patients can get access to health information there i was able to find on cms's website just to define that a little bit more. It sounds like, if I'm interpreting this correctly, it's 36 hours. That's what they mean by timely. The patient is provided timely access to view online and download and transmit his or her health information. That's the requirement. They also require an application programming interface so that you could hook up a third-party tool to their data in case they don't want to use your portal, which is another Not all EHRs have that interface ability. But if yours does, you'll be able to just flip a switch and cover that one. Um, Here's a line. The patient must be able to access this information on demand, such as through a patient portal or personal health record or by other online electronic means. So how are you guys interpreting this? There are those in my organization and other CMIOs who are interpreting this as yeah we've got to release the information just like open notes you have to make those notes available sure you could delay them for 24 36 hours but i don't think that's what a provider is concerned about they're concerned that they're talking about i i really am worried about cancer in this patient and we're going to do these tests to rule it out but perhaps they didn't have the time to completely convey that and the patient's not going to read that online and most people would say, too bad. You need to explain to your patient what you're doing. It's their body that you're working on. So you should have taken the time to explain, if you're thinking about cancer, that that's what you're going to be looking for. So this is coming. And the question is, is how are you interpreting it? I, to give you my two cents, I'm interpreting it the same way I think some of my colleagues are. This is as good as reason as any to move forward with open notes. Let's go ahead and do it. Let's rip the band-aid off. That's by January 1 of 2020. So within the next two months here, uh, we should all be moving towards this open notes standard and put on your bulletproof vests and hope that your tires aren't slashed in the parking lot or whatever else our colleagues do to us when they get really mad. So uh, but I think it's the right thing to do and I'm not sure we have a whole lot of choice. And that's the nice thing is you can blame the federal government. Uh, I'm sure you have done this as well where you go, ah, oh, it's the EHR vendor that did this. They, they made us look. It's their tool. Look what they did. Uh, and every time you have an upgrade and you're slipping something in, you, you do that. I know you do that. Don't try to deny it. I do it too. But now you can blame the federal government. It's even better. So you can just go, oh, look what the government's making us do. We got to do it. So Hang in there, everyone. We're going to do it together. And hopefully, your providers will not accuse you of being the bad guy. Let me know your thoughts on that one. Curious if you're going to go for open notes. Uh, Write into me, and I'll be sure to read some comments or something into the next uh, CMIO podcast. But it's a real controversial topic. All right, let's cover a couple of news articles. First one out of healthcare Care IT News, this one is that Microsoft and Nuance partner on ambient clinical intelligence for physicians. So this is the ability for a microphone to be in your room and pick up the, the communication between you and the patient, figure out who is talking and being able to write your note for you. So they call that ACI, Ambient Clinical Intelligence. So I'll read you another few lines. The ACI platform which the companies say can ease administrative burden by streamlining documentation has been rolled out to some customers in beta and is planned to launch in early 2020 across several specialties. The partnership between Microsoft and Nuance combines Nuance's expertise in conversational AI, clinical documentation, and decision support solutions for healthcare with Microsoft's strengths in delivering cloud and AI solutions. And I, this is a representative from Nuance I think is talking here, quote, the goal is to deliver a seamless and engaging interaction between clinicians and patients. With more time and attention paid to the patient we can improve the exam room experience and most importantly the quality of care. In a modern doctor's office you may notice your physician's eyes locked onto a computer screen rather than focus directly on your needs as a patient. ACI is meant to remove the administrative burdens from positions so they can focus on what matters, you. So my commentary on this, well, yeah, everyone wants this. This will be fantastic. I am excited to hear that it's in beta, that there are some people out there testing it. If you're one of them, hey, write into me. I'm curious about what you got out there and how it's working. How well is it handling the disjointed parts of the conversations that we have where we're talking about one condition for a little bit we might switch to something else and then come back but in your note you want that all organized not just by the way it flowed through the visit but actually by disease systems or disease categories or by uh, physical exams systems or review of systems so it's coming everyone's been waiting for this uh, i've been hearing about it for years and years but it looks like we are getting closer so Hang on there, we're, we're getting there. Do another article here out of Healthcare Care IT News. This one, written by Bill Sawicki, October 17th. AI-based coronary IT helps comprehensively treat patients with just one test. The results from a coronary CTA with the help of the vendor's highly specialized technology allowed Prairie Heart Institute experts to facilitate a more customized approach to the care and management of their patients so what they're trying to do here is to rule out patients who have significant coronary artery disease but they're in the hospital for chest pain and they're trying to find the most efficacious way of getting to their answer and so for most of us that involves we bring the patients in we do a set of enzymes we'll do uh, a nuclear medicine stress test on them and if they have equivocal or poor results on that, they end up with a cath. And that's it. sounds like what they were doing at uh, Prairie. So here's the the rest of the story. At the Prairie Heart Institute in Springfield, Illinois, cardiovascular stress testing, predominantly with myocardial perfusion imaging, has been the primary screening tool for patients presenting with symptoms suspicious for coronary artery disease. If a patient were to have a positive result, cardiac cath was almost always the gold standard next step in the workup. Even patients with suggestive chest pain, but with equivocal myocardial and perfusion imaging, were bound for the cath lab. Unfortunately, there's a significant number of patients who, despite clinical symptoms that are supportive of coronary artery disease and evidence of ischemia based on their stress test, have angiographically normal coronary arteries. And this is a quote from the Executive Vice President of Cardiovascular Services at Prairie Heart saying, we are constantly tracking the number of patients who have a normal cardiac cath at Prairie Heart. Although our numbers are lower than national averages, we still see anywhere from 20 to 30% of patients who receive a cardiac cath have normal coronary arteries or non-obstructive coronary disease. And so as a group, we felt we could do better than one in three patients, and they began to explore opportunities. And that's when they partnered with a vendor and their proprietary, I'm sure this is a proprietary name here, the HeartFlow FFRCT technology provides both anatomical and functional assessment of the coronary arteries. I think that's interesting. We do something similar. Most of us do now with stroke patients. You're doing some kind of functional assessment with perfusion. And I bet this is something similar. I don't know that for a fact. That's my guess. But it sounds like it. Uh, here's what they say. FFRCT provides computational fluid dynamics modeling that is applied to a CT coronary angiography data set and provides lesion-specific functional information of a coronary stenosis. Uh, Let's see, this is a quote again from that uh, VP at Prairie. We offer coronary CTA to patients at moderate risk of heart disease. Organizationally, this was defined as patients who present with stable angina but have significant risk factors for coronary artery disease. If patients have a normal CTA, you can stop there as there are no lesions to analyze. The best opportunity comes though when patients have lesions that are 50 to 69% stenosis. The results from a coronary CTA with FFRCT allow us to facilitate a more customized approach to the care and management of our patients. With the development of robust coronary CTA program with the addition of FFR technology, the Institute has seen a 15% reduction and myocardial perfusion imaging. has also seen an approximate 10% reduction in ad hoc cardiac cath, which has resulted in improved operational efficiencies in the cath lab. This is the the ending quote here. For the right patient, this one-stop evaluation has helped to reduce unnecessary testing, reduced radiation exposure, and helped to provide a more standardized pathway to appropriate revascularization. So, I like this technology. That's my two cents. I have participated with studies where they have done coronary CT angiography as part of a chest pain protocol. And what happened is the patients, they ended up going to the cath lab frequently and getting a cardiac cath anyway, because they didn't know, okay, they saw a 50, a 60, a 70% lesion. So they go and do the angiography and then decide if they're gonna put a stent in, in the cath lab. And so the patient ended up getting, one, a whole bunch of contrast dye, because they got some during the CAT scan, and now they got some during the the cardiac cath, and then two, a ton of radiation. So this protocol I like, because it's replacing the nuclear imaging, which has a fairly good dose of radiation, and so this is a reduction by using the, the CT angiography. And with the functional assessment, they can now say, okay, is this someone we really need to intervene on or not? And that's attractive. Maybe we can reduce the amount of metal we're putting into people's hearts. So interesting technology. I I suspect this needs significant more study, but that concept of being able to use the functional analysis on coronary arteries, similar to what we have done with the acute stroke patients looking at the dynamics of their flow and what's viable downstream those kinds of things are become very important i think in coronary assessment as well next one oh this was just a a story that i picked up Uh, it's coming out of the citizens times and it's uh, mission health data breach e-commerce site contained malicious code for three years so this is Mission Health, which is an HCA hospital in Western North Carolina, sent residents a notice of, after a data breach involving the hospital's e-commerce website. It sounds like malicious code had been sitting in there for about three years and was being sent to an unauthorized person. They do go on to say that there does not appear to have been any patient uh, protected health information that was released, just their credit card. Uh, numbers with their expiration dates and the CVV codes may have been captured also the names addresses etc so not only are you worried about protecting the the health information you also now have to protect your poor e-commerce site that you may have for the t-shirts that you were selling with your hospital logo on it what has the world come to Uh, just another example of be careful make sure that you are educating employees on how to avoid downloading malicious code i don't know if that's how this got in here or whether it was a malicious employee or what happened but not good all right want well, to cover one more this one is in jamia open and it was published on october 14th the lead uh, author is edward melnick an integrated web application for decision support and automation of ehr workflow a case study of current challenges to standards-based messaging and scalability with uh, from the embed trial. So I'll give you the brief summary here. What they were trying to do is use a clinical decision support tool to help emergency room physicians treat patients with opioid with opioid uh, use disorder. And ED doctors were not always comfortable with dealing with this they despite the fact that Suboxone appears to be a pretty good treatment and decreases significantly the uh, the, the relapse rates and the emergency department use rates for for uh, opioid dependent people they, uh, the emergency departments were not picking this up so what they did is they were looking to use a web-based tool So. Here's a few lines, emergency clinician's perception that the practice of initiation of buprenorphine is unfamiliar, complicated, and time-consuming problems that are only exacerbated by the dynamic ED context. To overcome these barriers and leverage the ED as a critical opportunity to treat opioid use disorder, we developed a clinical decision support solution to assist clinicians with the process. So the... Uh, The tool was implemented with the goal of optimizing its usability, its EHR integration, automation of EHR workflow, and scalability across a variety of healthcare systems. And this is coming out of Yale, and they're on Epic, by the way. So one of the things they did is they got 26 physicians together, and these doctors expressed what they needed. And they needed clinical decision support that would help identify the patients appropriately, avoid workflow disruptions, streamline clerical burden, and help users understand the treatment process. Specifically, the application we need to offer patient-specific, rapid, integrated, automated care pathway, as well as optional support in diagnosing, assessing, withdrawal severity, and motivating readiness for treatment. So, they had some problems, it sounds like. It's due to the limited flexibility of the clinical decision support tool available from their vendor, at the time of the initial development they went with a web application with a graphical user interface that basically popped up in a web uh, web browser in an iframe they evaluated the use of smart on fire applications and at the time epics uh, fire server did not support the requirements that they needed after a comprehensive review of other application architectures, the decision was made to utilize Epic's Active Guidelines framework. So what they wanted to do was to get pretty much direct access through an API, through an interface, and Fire would allow them to do that. But it sounds like, and I don't know if it's fixed today, but back at the time when they were doing this, that FIRE was not, well, Epic, I don't think, allowed the two-way uh, integration. So they had to use Epic's tool which, which kind of limits their plan here. They really want to roll this out across multiple different platforms. So, to go on here, the embed web application automates a care pathway that includes patient-specific orders which includes the medications, the referrals, and the documentation dropping a note into the chart reflecting the use of the app and the discharge instruction. So from a clinician's perspective, the it's called uh, the EMBED, E-M-B-E-D. The EMBED button is clicked within a patient's EHR chart. Next, they're guided through the process of choosing the best care pathway with the help of three optional decision support tools. These tools assist with diagnosing, assessing the withdrawal severity, and the motivating patient readiness to begin treatment. Once a specific treatment pathway is launched, the application automatically sends the corresponding Corresponding orders and prescriptions completes documentation and discharge instructions and provides choices for local referral sites. At any point, users can alter these clinical activities to further customize them for a specific patient. And then they go into the lessons learned and the conclusion here is that the embed implementation process elicited many challenges to interoperability and scalability. User-centered clinical decision support can be created to support clinician needs for initiating Buporfenone therapy in ED patients with opioid use disorder. A scalable, centralized clinical decision support solution that meets users' needs for ED initiation of buprenorphine still remains elusive as it would, at a minimum, require maturation of tools and standards, such as Smart on Fire, to include additional clinical activities, specifically order placement and referrals. So my two cents, I believe this kind of work is absolutely essential. I would love for us to have central clinical decision support. Why do I have to go out and recreate this tool? If someone else is making it and it's web-based, and uh, so I may have to pay something for it, but, and there are commercial applications that do this kind of thing to some degree, but I'd love to get access to what Yale built here, or what some other, maybe Hopkins is working on something, or who knows what else around, around the corner from us here. So, if that stuff's available in a web-based application, and we just need to hook it into our EHR, fantastic. But, I know the EHR vendors are not excited about this. They do not like apps that write information into their EHR getting information out i don't think they care as much they do like to control all the data but i think they're willing to loosen up and give uh, people the data especially because the information blocking rules are going to require them to, so now they're going to be very generous with their data but writing into a system that's a different beast and it's interesting that they're able to get some of the features w- worked through here using i guess it was epic's interface engine but that does limit its scalability so i thought that was a really interesting article about the challenges with interoperability and we've got a long way to go and as cmios i guess where you can help is one be looking for the centralized clinical decision support opportunities rather than us all going and building our own alerts the amount of time we spend having to build and maintain these things is enormous and eventually, this will become more centralized with academic medical institutions kind of leading the way, hopefully, and the rest of us can borrow what they've, what they've built. Um, and the other piece is, is, hey, push on your EHR vendors to open up a little bit here because it's hindering our ability to provide care. That's my two cents. And where I think I'll end for today. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host. Dr. Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. And definitely get back to me with what your thoughts are about information blocking and open notes. I really want to hear from you guys on that. Anyway, send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.